Hello and welcome to the 28th episode of Tailoring in Conversation. In this series, I'll be talking to tailors, business owners, cloth merchants, and other industry participants from all around the globe to gain a better insight into their worlds. My guest for today is Stephen Hitchcock. Stephen is a bespoke cutter and tailor based in London and has been so for the past 32 years. Some of you may know his father, John Hitchcock from Anderson and Shepherd. In our conversation today with Stephen, we're going to be talking about Stephen's background, his work, the drape cut, Savile Row, Rock of Eye method, and more. I hope you enjoy. Finally, Stephen Hitchcock, thank you very much for being here with me. How are you? I'm very well. Do you have to press got it? Do you have to press this? It says leave meeting or got it. I'll press got it. Oh, <laughs> is that working? Oh, it doesn't matter. It just comes yeah. up. If I can't see you now, but it doesn't matter. Well, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, very well indeed. And yeah. um, working hard. What if I get rid of this thing off your face? No, it won't leave. No. Um, I'm just looking at a, uh, a text, not at your face anymore, but never mind. Um, we're fine. Yeah, we're um, working hard and looking forward to um, going back to America in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks to um, hopefully get some more orders. And, yeah. Uh, you know, keep everything going. You ch- you seem to travel quite a lot to America. Is How often do you travel to America per year? Well, I travel three times every four mm-hmm. months. So uh, mm-hmm. three times a year. So um, late January, mm-hmm. May and October. Right. And do you have yes, the majority? Sorry, please continue. So, yeah, I used to travel four times um, mm-hmm. a year. Yeah, when I first started, well, I think yesterday was uh, 20 years mm-hmm. uh, when I first went to America, so I, I used to go, go to New York City, um, right. and that was it. Uh, and I've done that for many, many years. But we used to go four times a year, um, mm. just to quicken things up and fittings. Like even now, this January trip is really a fitting trip. You know, we're not. You know, hopefully we take some orders, but yeah. uh, it really the, the the stuff that we um, uh, commissioned in uh, November mm. uh, all ready to be fitted. So we, why not mm. go out there? Right, right. And do you have the majority of your clientele based in America? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, mm. we make 150 suits, or we did before the pandemic, uh, 150 suits a year, 100 would mm. be American, and 50 would be in in UK. I see, I see. Well, that's, that's a good balance there. Mm. Actually, I, 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 will, I will ask you about the 150 suits a year. Before we kind of like get into the nuts and bolts, I wanted to ask you, um, knowing that you started very early, who were you at 10 years old? Where was I at 10 years old? Yeah. If, if we were friends and we were 10, uh, what yeah. type of a friend were you at the time? No idea. A 10-year-old? Oh, blimey. I haven't got a memory like that. Ten year, uh, when I was 10? Um, oh, I don't know how to answer that question. No idea. Were you into sports? Because I know your both your parents were tailors. Yeah, both my parents were tailors. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, they were both uh, they both worked Anderson Shepherd in the. Well, my dad worked Anderson Shepherd for fifty four years, but my mm. mother was there. Uh, well, my mum and dad met uh, there in the early nineteen seventies or late sixties, mm-hmm. I suppose late sixties. Yeah, I was born nineteen seventy four. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, but at ten years old. Uh, I can't remember what I was doing yesterday, let alone when I was, when I was 10. 
So. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, um, how how did your journey start? I hope you still remember your apprenticeship days at least. Oh yeah. No. I, I mean. Um, yeah. I mean, when I was uh, younger, uh, I wanted to be a mechanic, and so at school I did a um, you know college um, thing. So uh, mm. twice a week or twice a month we went to the college from school and learned how to um, you know learn about cars, induction, compression, power, exhaust, <laughs> and how to get the car engine, you know, pistons yeah. and cylinders, things like that. But um, I was a, I got an apprenticeship on what why in well some youth scheme, mm. and uh, I was a mechanic, uh, training mechanic for a couple of months, I think, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, my granddad said to me, um, "Why don't you go and work with your dad in a you know tailoring trade?" Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what my dad did. I just knew every day he come on with a nice suit on, you know. But I didn't yeah. really think anything of it. It was just normal. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah, so I asked my dad, and he said, "I can get you an apprenticeship mm-hmm. uh, if you want to do cutting. You know, you must do an apprenticeship how to make the suits first." Right. Um, and that's what I did. So in September the first, nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. Um, I started at Anson Shepherd and um, had, a, had a great time there. Um, mm-hmm. I think about four or five years uh, apprentice, coat making, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then the rest of it was cutting. So How was nine- your apprenticeship in coat making like? If you compare it to what you know about the coat making apprenticeships today, how would oh, you compare it? Yeah. How- yeah, it's different. It's different. I mean, in the old days, well, in the old days, when I first started, there, the apprenticeship was about five years or four years. But really mm-hmm. today, if I was to train someone, you know, it would take about three years. Because, I mean, in the old days, it was all, um, I mean, they were training people and a lot. I mean, today, I don't mm-hmm. know if it's anywhere near the amount that there were then. I mean, just mm-hmm. on my, 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 my boss, Pat, he was teaching three of us. And basically, the mm-hmm. oldest one would teach the next one how to do the pockets. And Pat would just oversee it. So there was right. three in the same workshop, and it was, but they had a lot of space then. See, now they don't have the space to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea was that if Pat took on another apprentice, basically, instead of doing one coat a week, he'd be able to do two or three coats a week. So you're helping them mm-hmm. by them teaching you, you will pay them because you've right. got very low money. But basically, you have to basically dedicate two years to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't say that, but that's basically what you did. You did you yeah. did your pockets, your canvassing, your padding, and you did that for a long, long time. And the last year mm-hmm. uh, basically was the most important bit was the collar, shoulder, and sleeves. I mean, anyone can make a base. It's, yeah. the, it's, it's the finishing of the garment, the, the shoulders. I mean, the canvassing is very important, obviously. That is a you know mm-hmm. foundation. But mm-hmm. if you get a short collar or the sleeves haven't got the fullness, I mean... Um, well, Pat showed me years ago, but I mean, I still do the sleeves the same. Right. And we put three inches of fullness into a mm-hmm. sleeve. So, I mean, uh, most tailors would say, oh, you can't do that. And they, they want to put two inches in. Yeah. But I mean, the only way I can see that is because they do a bigger armhole. So we do mm-hmm. a high armhole, but wide. You've got to have width, yes. with back drape and front drape. Mm-hmm. But the armhole, for example, might be 19 inches. So right. you add on three inches. What's that? 20, uh, 19, 21, 22. But if the armor was a big armor from another company and it was already mm-hmm. 23 and you had on mm-hmm. two inches, 
there's, there's, you know, so you're not so you can get rid of more fullness around a big armor, can't you? But with a small armor or a high mm-hmm. armor, you've got to have a big sleeve. If you had a, an yeah. armor fitted the sleeve, if you had a very small armor, a very small sleeve, it'd be tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's just common sense. But um, so you have to have three inches of fullness, mm-hmm. and um, where you put that fullness is very important because yeah. you want the sleeve to hang. You know, dead, dead straight down. You don't want the sleeves to start flying out like this. <laughs> or, uh, uh, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, the coat makers there, you know, even in Green Ashley Shepherd at that time when I was there, um, mm-hmm. three or four different, you know, three or four very good coat makers and then make completely differently. You know, they would yeah. put a suit together. It'd be called an Ashley Shepherd suit, mm-hmm. but it'd be made, it's individual take, even today, that's why what I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and I just try and keep it to 150 because I can do all the cutting, mm-hmm. and I can um, you know I just have four coat makers, so yeah. I mean it's always the same outcome. There's no mm-hmm. you know I'm not trying to make 20 a week where you know you might be able to make five good ones and 15 are just average. Yeah. We're not making anything like that. We're just doing. If I can't make them to the best of you know the best, I won't make them. I don't, I don't want to mm-hmm. you know stand in front of a client in America. And the sleeves are coming out like this, or there's a great, you know, the collars are pulling up. And you look mm. and you think, you know, um, you know, if there's a mistake with my work, it's my fault. It's not the coat makers, because the coat makers are um, the best. Mm. Co- you know, I find them, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with the coat makers I've got. They're, they're the best. Yeah, that's a great thing to hear. You know, it's the, the worst thing you could hear is that when something goes wrong, I mean, sometimes it's someone's fault or responsibility but it's very it's very encouraging to hear that you say look if something around you know this operation goes wrong it's me who is responsible for this and i think that that reflects in your work as well because like you say it it always looks very consistent and neat and and you can tell someone is paying attention now Stephen, one thing i wanted to ask you is um, how much of the knowledge that you have gained throughout the years, including your, the apprenticeship you did in the beginning, have you taken on board and incorporated in your cutting? Yeah, but all of it, all the, all the years, you know, 32 mm-hmm. years or 33 years, um, you know, I've done nine years at Anthony Shepherd. Then I went mm-hmm. to James and James. Then, but I had my own, started my own business in 1999. So I, I took a sitting, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays mm-hmm. you can't get a sitting. You know, all these billionaires, aren't they? The owners of, you know, companies. So you go in there and say, I'll give you 30 grand for a board in the, you know, in the little space in the shop. They Mm. don't want that. They want you to work there. So, but in the old days, when I first started, I went to Eric James Mm. and he he took me money. And then I went to Demon and Goddard. Then I went, so I went went from Old Burnett Street, New Burnett Street, to Savile Road, 13. Then I went Mm. to St. George's Street. Um, Then I went to Chilton Street. But all these places that I went to, um, I would pick their brains. You know, even even mm. today, you know, I still ask anyone, coat maker, mm. uh, coat cutter, uh, mm. anyone, anyone that's in the business. I just love talking about tailoring because you can learn, um, mm. you know, just a little bit. If you learn just mm. a little different thing, it, it really clicks on four or five other things would come up about because, you know, just changing one thing, it really um, would affect the whole process. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so all the, all the knowledge that I built up, Mm. Um, basically, when I left Anson Shepherd, um, I've been adapting this soft tailoring great cut, um, mm-hmm. and, and 
you know, we're trying to get the same look, but we want a clean coat. It's like the old kill girl, really. One of our coat makers, um, he's 70 odd, and he was an apprentice at Kilgow in the 60s. So mm. his knowledge as well for the canvassing, mm. um, it's a drape cut. They did a drape cut, Anson's do a drape cut, but they're two mm. different things. They're not always equal. Everyone just thinks, oh, they do a drape cut. It must be the same. It's nothing like it. It's two right. different talk and cheese. So um, I do a drape cut, but I don't think it's anything like Anson Shepherd. You know? um, mm-hmm. And I don't think it's like anyone else that's saying they do a drape cut. It's everything... We do a controlled drape. That's why, you know, if you're a, a tailor, because the thing is, I'm one of the only people in the business that can actually uh, make a coat. Or I was trained. I mean, if I made a coat now, it would be that good. But I know how to put a coat together. And I know how right. I want my skins to go in. And, and that's what we bang on about. With the, If I get, you know, hopefully I'm going to get another coat maker this year. And, um, you know, you just, he's, you know, just ask them, oh, what three inches of fullness? And they would mm-hmm. say, no, can't do that. And you say, well, I want to put it through here. And yeah. that's how, and it would just tease them in. And if it works, um, and, you know, well, I know it works because that's what we do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we've just adapted it over the years. How would you say, I, I think the, the drape cut thing you mentioned and, and that every drape cut is not the same is a very good thing to, to talk about. So if someone ignorant, let's say, about drape cut, like me, would say, Stephen, what's the difference between Anderson and Shepin drape cut, Kilgore drape cut, and Stephen Hitchcock drape cut? What should I be looking for? Like, how would you describe that, and how would you talk someone through that? Well, I think, um, I mean, Anderson and Shepin, I don't know, you know, what they're making at the moment, but when I was there, um, mm-hmm. the coat was a flat coat. So, mm-hmm. the canvas, basically, Kilgore, I'm trying to be like Gilder, basically, in the in the 60s. That's what I'm mm-hmm. trying to achieve now. Right. Um, most people won't even remember Gilder, uh, French and Stanbury, as, as mm-hmm. I do. And um, So basically, an Anson Shepherd coat is a flat coat. So mm-hmm. they they would put, and I can still make that. I have a couple of clients that wish for that. And you mm-hmm. just put a fish cut, an open-ended fish cut, you know. Right. But if you want um, a proper coat, one of my mm-hmm. coats, we'd they build up a chest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know, you need a chest here, so so the bridle was will stay flat against your mm-hmm. chest. You know, you don't want to yeah. don't want this flat because it all sort of pops off and it all and mm-hmm. you know the front can all turn back. Um, mm-hmm. But what we do, we put a cut in the canvas or any cut you put in the cloth, as you will know, you put in the canvas. Yeah, and um, I, I have a more controlled drape, so my. Mm-hmm. Um, I normally would cut a side body. Even if I don't cut a side body, the canvases are still cut in the same way. So I would still right. take a, um, a cut out the front of the canvas and that would be pulled in and that mm-hmm. would then throw the chest down. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if the man's got no chest, you, you wouldn't do it so much. But um, most people um, like a high chest. They want to look like they've got a nice high mm-hmm. chest that comes into the waist. Uh, you know, I haven't got a, a waist. But this jacket will make me look like I've got a waist because the chest is yeah. wider than the waist. So it's an mm-hmm. appeal. You know, it just makes it all look, um, you know, nice. I love the look of it. I love the shoulder line. We do a very soft, natural mm-hmm. shoulder line. So um, mm-hmm. it looks like the client. It doesn't look like a clone. It doesn't look exactly the same as everyone else. Uh, mm-hmm. We want people to walk into a meeting and look like them. Um, yeah. And we want them to feel comfortable. And when you've got a, a small... Um, shoulder pad 
that we make mm-hmm. up out of wadding. Mm. Um, with the three inches of fullness in the sleeve and the drape front and back, it is extremely comfortable. It's very lightweight because the canvas is, um, it's just a piece of, we use the Italian canvas, the red, white, and blue, mm. I think it is. Um, and we put horse hair and mm-hmm. the mat. The mat covers it and we do very long stitches. Right. Um, we want short stitches. We're not trying to build up the chest. We're trying to mm-hmm. um, shape the chest, but then really we're just holding that hair cloth in place. You know, we just yeah. want the hair cloth. You know, and sometimes if we cut, I mean, Anthony Shepherd, um, 30 years ago, we used to cut the canvases seven inches on the bias. So we used to pull right. the, yeah, the, the, the lapel, should we say, or the, you know, lay the front edge down on the canvas straight, and then you move mm-hmm. the uh, chest piece back. So you measure from the lapel to the front seven inches. Right. Um, so that would go straight through the, so that would collapse basically, you know. Yeah. We can still do that, but. For me to sell that, when I was on my own, mm-hmm. um, it's very difficult to sell that to an American that has never seen, a lot of my clients know nothing about Ashley Shepherds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they don't, some of them come from Ashley Shepherd, some of them don't. You know, mm-hmm. so if you gave them a coat that's all creased up through the fronts and they've got all, some of those, some coats, how can you, but sometimes they're draped, they say it's draped, but the coat's just too wide, the chest's too big. Right. I've seen it many times on, on clients and, um, you know, mm-hmm. mannequins and things like that. You just think, well, the arm hole's in the wrong place. The actual, they haven't taken into consideration that it's, when you make a draped coat, the coat comes back. It can't go up mm-hmm. on the leg. So you yeah. straight, it's going to go back. And when yeah. it goes back, it's going to push into the arm hole. So you clear the arm hole mm-hmm. so you don't get, you know, you don't get wrinkles here. We don't want wrinkles mm-hmm. down the chest here. You want drape there. Anything else, yeah. if it's all wrinkly here, that's bad tailoring. Yeah. That's not, that's not draped. That's a mess. So, I'm really happy that you say that because I, I tend to think sometimes when I look at some photos and some of the jackets that people make by hand, as they as they say, um, I do see, like you say, a lot of messiness. And I'm thinking, uh, why are they calling it drape and why are they devaluing the term drape? Because the term drape is not, like you say, an excuse to create a mess. So. Mm. I can imagine you as someone who does incorporate a lot of drape in, in, in his cutting to look at that and be like, oh, man, what, what are you guys doing? So Yeah, but it, it annoys me because, um, you know, I, as I said to you earlier, I cut a suit every day. I'm not um, mm-hmm. um, a pretender. I'm actually a tailor. You know, I can yeah. cut, I can make. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, every day of my life in, in the 30-odd years, yeah. um, or 22 years when I'm my own, I cut a suit out and, um, yeah. and I really enjoy it. But, and, and I, you know, as I say, I'm looking at the armor. What was it? Where's, where is it? Is it too far forward? Mm-hmm. Is it too far back? Is it too deep? Mm-hmm. You know, all these things. And there's a lot, there's a lot of points that you've got to get mm-hmm. right. Yeah. But I do, I see other people that they say, oh, it's a drape. They just copy the same words, but it looks, it's, it, it's nothing like what, what I do. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like, um, well, it's wrong. If you've got creases that are, coming through here, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's sometimes when it's too, if you make a very crooked coat, yeah. uh, you can get a crease, you know, through here. Mm-hmm. Um, again, <clears throat> when the canvas is cut on seven inches on the bias, that mm-hmm. would really show up, you know, but yeah. I mean, today I don't cut seven inches on the bias, I might do two or three inches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want the coat just to settle down a little bit after mm-hmm. the man's, well, more, you know, when he's wearing the coat, his body, things he puts in his pockets will just weigh that down mm. and it will just drop a little bit. 
But I mean, yeah. as I say, years ago, it used to drop a lot. It used to mm-hmm. come down, come off the hips, and it, it beautiful. It was a good look. It was a good mm-hmm. look, but it has to be done well. You can't yeah. hardly do it. It has to be perfect. The, the you know the, the coat maker and the cutter, well, they're the two most important things in in the mm-hmm. suit. So you've got to have both um, firing all cylinders and. And you'll have a good yeah. suit. But if you're not aligned with it, if the cutter's cutting something out and you're hoping that the tailor's going to put the style into it and yeah. and what and recut the sleeves maybe or recut bits and bobs. I mean, when I was um, with Patrick years ago, 30 years ago, he used to recut the top sleeve. Could he used to, mm. I mean, what I do now, it's you measure around the armhole. Um, mm. I had an inch and a half on for the uh, top sleeve. So I measure around the top sleeve and it's got to be an inch and a half bigger. Mm. Uh, and the shape now that we've got, um, well, it's exactly the same ones from Kilgar because John, one of my coat makers, mm-hmm. he's got a couple of um, sort of, well, block sort of shapes. So you've got the, mm. the front side, you've got the, the front of the sleeve, and he's adapted that himself again mm-hmm. over, you know, seven, well, yeah. a long a years or whatever, 50, 60 years. So um, and that started off at Kilgar. So it's the same drape, it's the same mm-hmm. front side because. Um, there's angles, these angles have got to go together. You can't have a, um, a sleeve, it's got, to, it's got to be sewn into the armor, it's got to be the right angle. So, you know, the main thing is with, you know, I cut a straight coat, I've got to cut a straight sleeve. Mm-hmm. I can't cut um, a straight coat and then cut um, a very crooked sleeve, it won't go mm-hmm. in. And a lot mm-hmm. of these, um, I've seen so many things over the time, but I, that's what they do sometimes. They put a sleeve in that isn't going to fit. So uh, the tailor, the coat maker, mm-hmm. obviously has to redo it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I remember Patrick used to redo every single one of, uh, you know, of mm. the start of his, and they used to pick up the back and, um, and just cut off maybe half an inch. That's an inch on the double, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. So, Stephen, what, how was it like when you started at Anderson & Shepherd and your dad was working there and he was very well respected there? And I, I read in, in your bio uh, or that when he was being brought to the cutting room, uh, he was told that, you know, we're only going to teach you cutting if you promise to stay at Anderson and Shepherd forever. Now, when you joined Anderson and Shepherd as, as a young tailor, did you yeah. feel that same pressure? And did you feel like you have to kind of like follow those footsteps and and remain there forever uh well not really I, as i say um well i didn't know my dad was a director i didn't know he had shares mm-hmm. in the business i didn't know any of this i just thought he was mm-hmm. a tailor and even when i first started there well i went there um just for a day to see if i liked it and i was with michael arthur who's still there now um trouser maker i did a day mm-hmm. with him and I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, my dad would give him a pair of trousers, and we basically, by the end of the day, we'd done, or he'd done the base, and I thought, well, we can see what we've made. I thought that mm. was, really enjoyed that. So I thought we'd give it a go, and I went coat cutting, uh, coat making. But I had no idea for about two or three months that, we, you know, how it, you know, my dad was a director of the company. Mm. You know, we didn't, it was just one of those things, and... So I had no pressure on me at all. I mean, I just wanted mm-hmm. to learn to make, I mean, I was learning to drive. I was learning so many different things, but mm-hmm. I wanted to you know, learn to, to make a coat. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, that's what we did. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, what was the other part of the question? So, of whether you felt that that pressure to remain there forever once you were being taught. No, that. I mean, no, I, I didn't think I'd ever leave. I thought no. that things would. Um, yeah, I didn't think I'd leave, but the thing was, there was a lot of people that did leave in '92, mm. and there was a little bit of unrest. And then um, I just thought to myself, I don't, you know, I just like doing my own thing. I like uh, mm. adapting. You know, with Anderson Shepherd or most old firms, they need to cut in the same way they did a hundred years ago. Right. But uh, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I want to have the same silhouette. Mm-hmm. But because the cloth's got a lot lighter, I mean, in the old days, the cloth. 30 ounce, mm. 20 ounce, 13 was the lightweight. Now, 13 is the heavyweight. So mm-hmm. we need to change. <clears throat> yeah. And that's what I've done. I've adapted it to the side body and cuts, take the body mm. cut out, all these little things make a massive difference. It ma- makes the coat a lot cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's what I wanted to do. I want to do my own thing. You know, mm. I want to make my own decisions. I didn't want to be told, mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, you had people yeah. there to Right out the tickets, like the, the the work tickets. So you yeah. have to wait for them to do the tickets. But we, the customer wants his soup, so I'm thinking, come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Yeah. And, uh, so I just thought I could just do this myself because if you work for yourself, if you do two a week, mm. you've got business, you know. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's what mm. I did. I thought I'll just I'll just start on my own, and uh, it's been brilliant. When did you feel that you were ready? Uh, what sort of skills had you accumulated <laughs> that you thought? I, I don't know if I'm still ready now. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I didn't, and I never felt that I knew everything, and I still don't now. So um, mm. you know, when I left, I didn't even know how to cut a pair of trousers. I didn't know how to mm-hmm. cut a pair of trousers. I just knew the coat, mm. and um, I just learned. What, wherever I needed, I knew what I wanted to, to I wanted my own business. I wanted yeah. to work for myself. And so you've got to work out what you don't know, you've got to learn. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's that. So, um, yeah. That's what I did. I just went out and started asking questions. And mm. uh, obviously my father, excuse me, my father was a trouser cutter. Mm-hmm. And he ended up as a coat cutter, but he was trouser cutting for, I don't know, 30 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, he could show me how to cut a pair of trousers. And he did show me a little bit, you know, while I was at Ashley Shepherd, but um, but my trouser cutting now is, is different. I don't mm-hmm. cut, you know, they cut a very, well, he did cut a very crooked trouser. <clears throat> I still cut mm-hmm. a crooked trouser, but... They used to do a bigger fork, and mm. I'd do a left fork, and I'd, I'd pass it onto the onto the top of the seat seam, and um, mm. uh, I sort of bring it back a bit. I bring it back an inch instead of half inch. Everything so it's a bit neater, yeah. But not yeah. not not, um, not slim, but it's yeah. um, just the way that I've I've got more confidence in this cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you please continue. Sorry, no, no, no. I was going to say that if you keep if you keep uh, chopping and changing, mm-hmm. you might, you know, you're never going to really get to the um, the end result. But if you stick with the same process and you keep getting, oh, the fork's too big, we'll take the fork in. Ah, okay, now mm-hmm. I can clear the seat. And then that brings that smaller. And you, it, it sort of works itself out after after mm-hmm. a, a lot of years. You can you realise, oh, we don't need all that there. We can clear that. And mm-hmm. um, But I still want a, a crooked pair of trousers so you can move. I want people mm. to better sit down and walk, you know, up the curb and without pulling. But some people they do like a very straight leg. Mm-hmm. They don't want any break in the trails at the back. 
And I could do that, just straight the trousers, pick them up, but you won't be able to sit down. It'll always be very uncomfortable. But some people are you know, very vain and they just want something that looks absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it seems like when you give it when you give the time to repeat something, you allow time to perfect it over time. So um you're, you you seem like a fairly adaptable person, like you say. You go with the times, and you like to kind of like make your own decisions. When you are going throughout the years, and you're cutting, and you're making, and your style improves, changes, or alters, what are the factors that help you to make style changes to your cut or to the way you just look at that garment specifically? Um. Well, style changes, there are no style changes. I want a draped cut, high armhole. The aesthetics are exactly the same. You've got to put a big sleeve in a, in a high armhole, small armhole, mm-hmm. soft shoulder. It's exactly the that, of the that that look I'm after every time. Right. Because I've changed a bit. I like more shape through the waist. So I want that close, very close, so you can see through your arm. But if you move mm-hmm. it, it gives you that... Um, slimmer appearance that everyone's after. No one wants to look big. But mm. on the front edge, I have that a little bit loose. So when you sit down, some people you know, might not undo their coat. They should do maybe, but you don't have to. And um, So it's the same appearance, but the actual tailoring, the, the canvassing that we do now, we take a couple of cuts out, mm-hmm. um, to get that a little bit more drape. Um, all this has been refined, you know, talking to mm-hmm. coat makers and, and lots mm-hmm. of different people. I just take on all the information. Mm-hmm. And if I can make my suit better, I want to. Every day I want to make it better and better and better. Um, and I enjoy that. I enjoy that, you know, looking for them, you know, looking for these little bits of the jigsaw to mm-hmm. to, jet, to, to get to the, uh, the perf- perfect jacket. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, the process of perfection. Mm. Natural, naturally evolves. Yeah, well, it is natural, yeah. I mean, it's just, mm. you know, picking people's brains that have done it before. Yeah. They might not have done this style before. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I talk to Malcolm Pugh's or any of the old tailors that are, um, anyone that's got their own business and, and is doing it, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're full of, full of knowledge and full of, um, they want to help. So... Yeah. Um, that's the best way, just pick their mm-hmm. brains and, and uh, put it into your own cut. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, still don't lose what you want to do. I mean, I want that soft cut. If I wanted to do a different cut, I would have done mm-hmm. that. But I don't. I think this is the, uh, for me, it's the ultimate. I think it's brilliant. I think it's it's comfortable, it's unique. Mm. It's personal to the client. It doesn't look like someone else. They all look, yeah. uh, you know, uh, unique. So... Yeah, it's a. Mm. If I can just make it a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, you know, it makes it fun for me. Every time I cut a pattern, mm-hmm. um, I, I find it so enjoyable. Yeah. There's so many things to look at. I just measure everything, you know, is there a big man, small man? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter, you know, we can do it. As someone who, who is cutting pretty much every day for like, what, 25 years, 30 years, like you say, what does it mean for you to be a tailor? What What does that? How How would you, um, how would you position the craftsman, the artisan, being a tailor, um, in your hierarchy of values? How would you say that? Oh yeah, 
Well, being a tailor is the top. Mm. I mean, for me, I um, I love it. I mean, I can't. I mean, I can't. You know, read and write properly or whatever. But I love tailoring. It's a mm. it's a way of expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I don't read any books. I'm not interested in in, in certain things. But with tailoring, mm-hmm. it's an addiction. You know, I love it, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm trying to uh, perfect that. I mean, you're never going to get perfection, but every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got a client coming in this afternoon, new one, and I just want to, you know, you can't wait to speak to them because you want to see, yeah. you know, what they want and what, you know, they love tailoring. They want to talk about tailoring and tell me their experiences. And mm-hmm. I, it's just a lovely life, isn't it? If you can, mm-hmm. but I don't want to do 20 a week, I want to do three a week. And yeah. that's, I think, that's the big key because, you know, if I flew to Australia, if I went all around America states, I can get more work. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do more work because that means then my lifestyle would be different mm-hmm. and um, I need to train up, you know, more tailors. And if I was to mm-hmm. train up more tailors, I need a shop or a workshop and all mm-hmm. these prices, everything builds up and it, and it becomes um, your work in the pay the rent then. And I don't want mm-hmm. that. I want it to be a joint. So by yeah. doing 150, I can actually cut those myself. See, if I was mm-hmm. doing 250, there's no way mm-hmm. I could cut all those, cut them patterns, yeah. fit those suits, it, it yeah. becomes different. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just like the way that it's working out at the moment. I, I've not, never done this for the money. I do this mm. because I enjoy it and it's um, it's a lovely way of life. Yeah. And if you were doing it for the money, you probably would be making 550 suits a year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you could, yeah. I mean, this is not bespoke. You never make any money. I'm sure some of the big people that have bought these big companies they find out very quickly that there's no money in bespoke. You can mm-hmm. sell, if you can sell um, a load of suits throughout the world um, and it's made in a factory, you know, for mm-hmm. 38 quid and you're selling them for 1,500 pounds, that's where you make the money. When you make bespoke, everyone that touches that is, mm-hmm. is putting their life and soul into the suit. I mean, it, it, you know, mm-hmm. they, no one's, everything is expensive. It's not because it's handmade, you know, and yeah. it's, People dedicate their lives to tailoring, so they should get paid. I mean, when mm-hmm. I first started, there were some lovely tailors at Anson Shepherd that really didn't have a didn't have a pot of piss in. You know, they were um, mm-hmm. poor, and it's a shame. And, and the finishers were treated a bit mean. And but mm-hmm. now, everyone is. It's so important to have a team around you that is yeah. um, willing to work and and all help out together. You know, and, and they've all got to be. The best you can't have someone that's good that's, mm-hmm. that's not good enough you've got to be the best yeah yeah do you see in that in that same framework also the tailor as the artisan in business being very different than a business if that makes sense so that again so if if i let me see if i can describe it. so do you see yourself as an artisan or do you see yourself as a business I don't really see myself as an artisan. I think that's a bit of a silly, a bit of a, um, a weird word. But I'm not a businessman. I'm definitely not a businessman. Right. But I just want to be, I'm more of a crafts, a craft. I've learned my craft. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not just me. It's my, my small team. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, all, they're all making good stuff. I mean, um, I always look at it um, as I haven't got a backer or anything like that. So I don't mind paying the coat makers a bit more. Uh, you know, money or or, mm-hmm. or 
you know, if I see an alteration, I'll do the alteration on the on the suit. I'm not going to let that suit go out the door that could come back and bite you. You know, you know, one of these mm-hmm. clients might have five friends that he recommends, and if one's not happy, then they tell his friends, money. So you've got to make everything. You've got to have a, a clean conscience mm-hmm. after getting rid of the suit. You know, it's got to be perfect. It was in my eyes. You know, sometimes a client might say, oh, "I think this yeah. should be like this or like that," and you say, "Okay, we do it," but then don't bring it back because. I've done it. I've done it the way that if you want it like this, mm-hmm. um, it's not the way that I see it, you know. So, mm-hmm. but um, most of our customers they just return time after time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. And if if you think about the name Savaro, especially in the recent years, like maybe last ten years, it it has had a lot of attention, especially with social media and YouTube and all of that, and. There have been a lot of spin-offs from companies, bigger companies as well. What what do you see as a true Savile Row tailor? What who would you categorize as a Yeah, the Savile Row, the proper Savile Row tailor is the you know, there's hardly any of them left. There's I mean it's become a carnival street for me anyway. I don't think it's a bit heartbreaking when you walk down there and you just see the empty shops. I think mm. uh, obviously, I mean it's it's bloody obvious, really, isn't it? It's the pinnacle. Of a suit, so it's the best fit, the best cut, the best tailoring. Um, it's always been the same. But if you go down there now, you see a lot of suits that have been made in factories, mm-hmm. you know, Benson or whatever. And even in the front window, they're showing it off like, oh, we sell this. It's rubbish. It's nothing to do with mm-hmm. Savile Row. Savile Row um, is about people. It's about people learning and dedicating their time to learn and, and make themselves better. It's not about mm-hmm. profit on a suit. I mean, that, that's a business, isn't it? But I mean, now it's it's quite frustrating. Uh, you know, my father was in the trade for fifty-four years. I, I'm in the trade for thirty-two years, and um, there's a lot of people that have been the same. But now mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are coming in and living off the back of people that have put the effort in and and worked to build up Savile Row. I mean, right? Yeah, I think Savile Row really. If you go to any any firm, if you go, um, it's all about the tailor and the cutter. You've got to have a good cutter and you've got to have a good tailor. If, if you haven't got those two, mm-hmm. you're just buying a suit. And um, some people, they might go to sell well and not pay you know, £4,000, £5,000 for a suit. They might say, say you see something for like £1,200. Well, that's that's not a Savile Row suit. They might mm-hmm. have a location of yeah. Savile Row. But you're, you're buying something and um, you buy cheap, you buy twice, don't you? You buy that... So and you wear it and you think, oh, this is rubbish. I won't go back to Savile. But that's not Savile Row. That's again, not all tailors are equal. You know, this mm-hmm. we've got a, people out there basically conning you, aren't they? They conning you into buying a suit because they've got a location. Mm-hmm. They haven't done. If they're not a cutter or a tailor, they're not in the tailoring business. Surely, I mean, mm-hmm. they're just business people. So mm-hmm. uh, you do your research and find someone. Find what style you like. There's loads of styles out there. And um, I say there's a dozen proper tailors out there that are, you know, you could go to and have a, a, have a very nice suit, but there's another dozen that know nothing about the tailoring world. It's it's a business. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, what do you, what do you think that a a let's say a heritage brand like Savile Row? Um, which has had a big history behind it with great people who had great skill. What do you think a place like Savile Row now needs the most? Like what could yes. save Savile Row? What could save oh, Savile Row? Well, I think they've got to save the self. I mean, I think, I think 
yeah, you just got to teach more people. And, and but the thing is, it's the whole thing isn't the same anymore. People are in the business of Savile Row to make money, and they're mm-hmm. just going to rip it to pieces. You know, yeah, they're just going to yeah. going to rip it to pieces because if you're if you're a business person, you don't want to go in and buy a company that's not making any money. They're not mm. interested in that. They want, they want to make money. And the way to make money is out of these cheaper suits selling them for a higher price. Mm-hmm. But if you're making something, as you well know, if you take a long time to, to make something, it costs a lot of money. So you mm-hmm. might say, oh, it's £5,000. But there's hardly any profit in it. You know, you mm-hmm. might. You know, but in the suit that is £1,000, you're getting a lot more profit if you're making it for 50 quid. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think now... You know, I don't know. You just need to teach people, but everyone, they don't seem to stick together. The several row tailors, they seem to want to kick everyone down. Everyone, they don't want mm. to uh, drop the drawbridge and let people come up and join us. They want to say, oh, we, we, we own this club and you're not coming in. Well, that's mm-hmm. that's not helping anyone, is it? Well, we should all get together yeah. and uh, maybe get a workshop together where we can train people mm-hmm. uh, to make, you know, what we want. And maybe we can get help, maybe from the government. I don't know. I don't get any help at all from anyone. And mm-hmm. I'm not asking for help. I just, you know, that's the way we do it. We just get on with it. But um, I think you need a bit of passion and you need mm. to push. I know there's so many people. I get emails and text messages most weeks asking, you know, have we got any space? Can I learn? Can I do this? So the people definitely want to learn. But... Um, I don't think we're teaching properly. I don't think that mm. the, uh, I think it's being diluted now. I think mm. it's not Do you have apprentices yourself? I don't have an apprentice now. No, we, we have, mm-hmm. we've trained up, um, well, no, but John's trained up his daughter, Roxy. So she mm. works for me. Obviously I give her loads of work while she was going through her apprenticeship. But we might take on someone this year. We might do it. It all depends on how the trips go. Because the last, the first trip we had was, Fantastic. Mm. So um, if it covers on like that, then we will um, have enough money because, you know, to take on an apprentice, you've got to get a workshop, you've got to mm-hmm. make sure that this person's, you know, going to work for you for a long time. You know, we're training them up for three years and then they say, oh, I'm going to start my own business in India or wherever, you know, China or wherever they sort of disappear. We want someone to last, you know, for the next 20 years. Yeah. So, um, but it's just getting, I need to have, um, constant work to do that you know I get constant work now but two two three a week is not quite enough for me to go uh, for another coat maker I just I, mm. I, you know if I can get um, if America's good and I think it could be good this year then mm. we will take on someone um, but it's a big responsibility you mm-hmm. know taking on someone and, and training them um, but uh, I'd like to do that I would love to do that I'd love to do it on a big scale you know if I if I had the money I'd have a big workshop, take on 10 people yeah. and um, get an experienced coat maker in there to show them the ropes. And as I say, mm. you can get in front of three years if if you just want them to, you know, if you don't want them to be doing base for, you know, for the, for the coat maker that's teaching. If you just show them how to make a suit and they haven't got paid back yeah. that uh, responsibility, then um, you can get in front of three years, you know, a couple mm. of years and one year on the finishing, shoulders, yeah. collars, sleeves. And, um, well, Roxy's a, one of our coat makers, Roxy, she's uh, went through that apprenticeship um, 
I don't know, about four years ago, five years ago, I can't really remember. But she's fantastic. She makes some really good stuff. Mm. So um, you haven't got to be in your 70s to make a good coat. It's, it's what people are telling you. If you take it on and you, um, and you really want to be good, mm. and you think, well, that sleeve hasn't gone in. Why has that sleeve not gone in? And, and, and you, know, you tell them, and they go, no, it's not that. And then, yes, it is that. And then, you know that. And then all of a sudden, oh, the penny drops, and they think, why? I just yeah. do, I just do that, let that drop, put a bit more fullness there. Oh, it's looking mm-hmm. better. And then it, it right. just helping them. You've got to, you know, if I feel that if I had an apprentice, I would be able to help them because they mm-hmm. can make a coat. But if you can't make a coat to begin with mm-hmm. and you take on apprentices and you give yeah. them a coat, they're just going to make the coat that he tells them. So mm-hmm. everyone goes off on their own thing. Yeah. But you want yeah. to handle it the same house style. I mean, that's what I do anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people say, oh, we make anything. But um, we just stick to the same thing and try and master that, and that's mm-hmm. what we we do. Yeah, yeah, it's a very important point that you bring up because when you have too many tailors within the same company and everyone is doing something different, uh, even if it's good, it's still impossible to really perfect one thing to the absolute best um, mm. and really bring it to the next level. Stephen, mm. I have another question. Uh, when you st- when you started your own business. Uh, and you were kind of like making your plans uh, and and kind of like getting to know the fields. Uh, what were some of your main challenges, some of the biggest challenges that you found personally really difficult to deal with at the time? Well, when I first started, mm. yeah. Um, well, I think it's always been the same. It's always been somewhere to work from. I don't think, mm. I think uh, it's always been rent being too high and mm. um, people just moving out. You know, James and James sold around Bennett and then they knocked it down, had to move out, then they moved out. So you just keep moving from pillar to post. Mm-hmm. That That's always been the difficult bit. It's not having a, a base. Um, mm. But, you know, um, I don't know really. The rest of it, I mean, we've never really, because I'm not backed because I haven't got a backer and he says you've got to do three a week, you've got to do five a week or whatever they say, um, it never really bothered me because at first I was doing one a week. I was doing one a week. I was making it myself. Mm-hmm. So not the thousand, but the jacket, I was making it myself. And that's for the first year we'd done 52 orders. So um, so it was, I've never put any pressure on myself like that. Mm-hmm. I've never, if I had a backer or someone give me the money, and I had lots of people offer me that at the time, um, I would have had a lot of pressure on me. I can't, I don't like all that. So I, I'm not mm. going to put myself under that pressure or into that commitment. Mm. Um, so really it's only been, I would say, um, the location really, that's the bit of the rent, mm. the pay, finding the premises, because every couple of years, wherever you go, um, as I said, one got knocked down and the next one, well, both, a lot of redevelopment around Savile Road and that sort of time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but cutting wise and getting the clients have never been a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it just they just seem to come along. I mean, now with the Instagram and you know these these uh, sort of Zoom um, calls, yeah. people can see what you're doing. You know, before it's all hidden away, but yeah. now people can see. And if they like what they see, they come and order. Mm-hmm. If they don't like it, they don't have to. You know, but you're mm-hmm. showing it throughout the world, aren't you? So, yeah, um, it's a good platform. Do you think that if you established your business? 
on day one and never had to move ever that your business would look very different? I think it'd be stronger, yeah. If I if I mm-hmm. could if I could have got in somewhere, well say James and James, and you could afford to take over a bit of the basement, you could train tailors and then mm-hmm. if I could get more coat makers to the standard that I need, I would have gone and got more work. But yeah, you you couldn't I couldn't build like that because I haven't got mm-hmm. the, the backing. But saying that I don't you know, I'm happy with what I've got, very happy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I had if I had had um, a, a shop and a workshop, my God, it would have gone, I would have really gone, I would have taken on the big big shops. We would have been yeah. better than them. We would have been doing yeah. more work than all them. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. But, um, but it is what it is and you do what you do and mm-hmm. um, I'm very grateful to do two or three a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if, if you ever do get... Um, any type of difficulty within the work, and it's, you know things happen. Sometimes it's 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 part of the work, right? Something mm. is forgotten, maybe here, or something goes wrong there. An accident happens here. What sort of a decision-making system do you have for yourself to deal with things that go wrong unexpectedly? How do you process mm. those problems? I don't know. I mean, you know. Um... What sort of an approach do you take? I don't usually get problems. It sounds a bit big-headed, but on a on a normal suit, on a lounge suit, mm-hmm. um, I don't really get any problems. But if it was a morning suit, I don't cut many morning suits, white ties, anything like that. I would just go straight to Malcolm Pugh's, one of my friends who's been in the mm-hmm. trade for years and years and years, and I say, I've got to do this, and they say, I'll show you. And that's it. Right. Easy. Right. So right, I, right. I, if I don't know, I would never take it on. If I don't know what I'm doing, I'll go and find out. There's people in the trade that do I know. See. So you go and you ask. You would them, rather oh, prevent the problem, basically. Doing? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want problems. I don't want to yeah. do things twice. If, if I have to do things twice, I, I think about, you know, let's not bother this next time because this, this ain't working. This, mm-hmm. if I've done it once and it ain't right, you think, Christ, what's, I don't want to be doing this. You know, as I say, when I go to America and I stand in front of a client. Mm. in Los Angeles or New York I don't want alterations I don't want any uh, trouble with the the collars not fitting or the shoulders there's no fullness sleeves and tight because you've got to come back give it to someone Mm. it's all hassle I want it to be right and to get it right is experience on my level and on the Mm -hmm. tailor's level coat maker now I know my coat makers they ain't going to put a a short collar on or the sleeves in badly Mm. Um, now and again there might be a small thing like the inverse pocket might be half inch small to my knowledge you know I like them seven seven half you know just little things and if it comes up a bit small I just say look it's nothing but it's just I don't want them six and a half I want them at least seven mm-hmm. you know they're just little things there's no the actual tailoring inside the actual canvassing that's made mm-hmm. most, very important collar mm-hmm. shoulder sleeves very important we don't mm-hmm. get any trouble with those. It's never, if it's the fault, it's my fault because I've measured, you know, mm-hmm. you know, if the man's really big and you need to get over the belly and, uh, you know, underneath the belly, it, it's the way I cut it. You know, it's a 50-50 mm-hmm. thing for me and the coat maker. So, you know, you might have another fitting on a big fella. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about it. We don't get any, I've never had any, you know, Last 10 years, I've never had any trouble with the fittings. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's what it is. I mean, some people don't like the drape cut. Some people love the drape cut. And if they love it, they keep coming back. 
they yeah, don't like yeah. it. They want a suit and think, oh no, it's not for me. So mm. but we don't get many of those. But, yeah, I uh, think that's that's a very that's a good quality. That's a I think that's a sign of efficiency and knowing exactly what you want and what you would take on board, just to prevent mm. anything unknown from happening. Mm. Yeah, mm. but if I had something that wasn't right, I, I would, um, you know, I'd put it right. So if there's something that I knew was wrong on a code, mm -hmm. I might not say to the client, "Oh, by the way, there, that size seen me stretching out a bit." I say to, him, "Oh." But can I can I have it for a press? Let me just I'm gonna give this a press mm -hmm. and you pick up on Tuesday. And then I say, what right, take out the thing, stretch the size seam, it's a bit yeah. tight. The lining might have shrunk when the guy's pressed it or something. If it's a yeah. little bit tight, then I, I want it right. I don't want him to take it away. I say mm -hmm. most of them aren't from London, so they could be from Russia, they could be from America. Yeah. They go back to where they're from and it's miles away, and they, yeah. they come up and say, Oh, it's all is a there's a crease there, and you think, Oh my god. You know, they've yeah. got, it's a hard hassle, isn't it? They, they, these people, most of them are billionaires. You know, they're mm. very rich people, and they want service. They don't mm -hmm. want, they don't want to know about oh, it was a tight lining or it's, yeah, yeah. They, they, they just want to work with it. They want to put it on, and if they can't put it on for their party or their ball they're going to, yeah. um, then they're disappointed and they're so upset they probably mm. never come back because of little mm. diddy things. Yeah. They're not looking at the trade. They're not looking at as I would look at it, or you would look at it, and try and get every time perfection. But you know, we don't hit perfection really. But you try your best to get every level of the mm. suit um, at, the, at the best you possibly can. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, all right. So I, let's do a speed round, Stephen. I've got a few words, and I'd like to know the first thing that pops up your mind when you hear them. Right. All right. Shall we begin? Okay. Yeah, so, go on. I can... All right. Quality. Fit. Okay. Apprenticeships. Three years. <laughs> Tailoring schools. Oh, no. Not for me. Tailoring school, no good. <laughs> you got an apprenticeship. All right. Ready to wear. Well, it's, it's got a lot better over the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. Garment technicians. What was that? Garment technicians. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? You know, when in a factory they decide to make uh, make a particular garment and they work out all the ins and outs with the machines and how it should kind of like uh -huh. be assembled and all of that. Right. Uh, no idea. I've never been in the factory. <laughs> Savile no. Row. Brilliant. Brilliant. Anderson and Shepherd. Brilliant. <laughs> Tradition. 100%. 100%. Innovation. 100%. Encouragement. 100%. <laughs> Role model. Well, my father, John Hitchcock. Right, right. Pattern cutting. Rock of Eye. Rock of Eye. Ta actually, actually, how do you define Rock of Eye? I can't believe I didn't, uh, I, I well, didn't think way, of this earlier. Well, the way I cut is Rock of Eye. So basically, if I see a customer, I look mm -hmm. at their physique. So I look at the, the, the shape of their back, if they've got a belly, and I just draw what I see. 
Um, mm-hmm. So if they've got a belly, I might bring the front edge forward half an inch. I might open up, I might put a wedge through the front. So, to, to, you know, whatever I see, I do. So mm-hmm. um, rock and roll, it's just me you know, striking what I see. So the back seam will be exactly the same as the man's back seam. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some tailors, I don't really study it too much, but a lot of tailors used to do, or I suppose they still do, more scientific. I don't think it's scientific at all, tailoring. I, I think it is all by eye. And, and when you draw something, it, you can just see how it flows. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of these, years ago, I remember there was a, some of these tailors that would do dot to dot cutting, I'll call it. So they'd put a dot there and they would, um, I don't know, 10 for the scale, they put another dot and then they line oh, yeah. it up very straight edges. Um, and that's exactly the opposite to what we do, or I do. I just don't mm-hmm. want any of that. I mean, I start off with a block back and a block sleeve, mm-hmm. and I can grade that up. But it's all about measurements. But the four part um, is just a piece of chalk. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. it's two thirds of the back. You know, the balance is, you know, I get these points that I go to. And then it's it's all about what I see. If the customer, as I say, if he's got a big belly and a small back, you don't want a, a faulty waist all around the mm-hmm. back there you want, it at the, you want it at the front so mm-hmm. i just had it on at the front i mean it's very um basic very simple to me it just it's just the way that you know i do and i've done for all that time do you think that the rock of eye method is something you kind of like evolve as a, as a craftsman towards or is that something you train you you train in from the very beginning well, I suppose you can do either, I suppose. But I, I trained from the very beginning because mm-hmm. um, when I was at Anson Shepherd, um, um, I used to go down and get the patterns out. That was one of my jobs, get the patterns out. But, you know, I had patterns down there from 50 years ago, or maybe more, or maybe 100 mm-hmm. years, I don't know. But, I mean, obviously, after 10 years, they get rid of these. If a person pattern, after 10 years, they've changed shape anyway, haven't they? So they, they would mm-hmm. get rid of them. But I think some of the patterns they had down there were from years and years ago. But... Um, at Anson Shepherd, when I was there, I used to look up to Mr. Harvey, Mr. Halbury, uh, Mr. Russell. So I used to get their patterns out um, and, and look at them. So mm-hmm. Harvey used to do a bit more crooked mm-hmm. uh, coat or very crooked coat, uh, but he had a lot of style. And, you know, all the, all the patterns were slightly different, but it all cut rock awry. So you, you, there's no, um, no uh, none of this dot-to-dot stuff. You wouldn't have a... You wouldn't say the chest is there. But nowadays, I do, I don't do dot the dot cutting, but I do have marks that I would go to. Right. You know, the chest for the armhole. You know, these little things that that um, I know I'm going to be closer at the end. Because if you just do it, basically, when, you know, um, in the late 80s or before, Anson Shepherd, it was all, the cutters would cut something, but leave it to the tailor. You know, they would just mark an outpress pocket or when it just it wouldn't even be in the right place, you know, right. they just chalk. You know, they'd just be a bit of chalk, mm. um, and the fish cuts. They used to do these lovely little lines, mm. but each tailor would do it differently. So the first cut could be an eighth, the second, the, first, the second cut could be three eighths. Some people would do and a quarter of an inch. Some people would sew a button on an inch back. Some would sew it on three quarters back. <laughs> It'll be different. So, but, so right. that's what I'm saying. Now, I don't have any of that nonsense. I just do everything exactly the same. We sew a button mm-hmm. on three quarters of an inch. I mean, it's just basic <laughs> stuff. But if you just yeah. stick to it, we know where we all are. I mean, because mm-hmm. uh, um, consistency is what we're after. 
But yeah. to go back to the rock of eye, I just find it a lot easier to cut than um, I don't want to trust a stick that says it's going to be 10 apes, you know, got to add on an inch here, add on it, all that. It still doesn't fit at the end of it. So you've got to get, if I look at a client mm-hmm. and I look, or I look at a sleeve and I think, well, the measurements don't really measure up, I want to get a nice run because mm-hmm. the run, you know, if you put a sleeve in, as I say, if you've got um, this, if I make a straight coat and it pushes mm-hmm. back, this is going to be straighter, this line mm-hmm. here on a coat. Now, if I put in a crooked sleeve that mm-hmm. like this, it's never going to go in. So you've got to cut yeah. a straight sleeve with a straight arm on. Um, it sounds really uh, basic, but if you do all the mm-hmm. basics correctly, uh, you'll, you'll have a half a chance of the coat hanging correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're putting a back seam in with a load of angle and then you've got the four-part seam that's no angle, mm-hmm. you know, when you turn it back, you can't stretch it that much. It's all going to be tight. It's, it's mm-hmm. never going to hang nicely. So a lot of my cutting over that, um, over my 20 years or whatever on my own, I try and get the sizes of the back seams to marry up. I try mm-hmm. and get all the seams. So it's a lot easier for the coat maker to put something mm-hmm. together. That's right. what I'm, I work with them more than um, than trying to get something. I don't know if I cut more shape into it, it just doesn't work. You know, yeah. it has to be has to be measured correctly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think um, a lot of things. You know, I would say like even on the fork of the trouser. Um, yeah, well, years ago, again when I was at Anson Shepherd, I remember one of the guys. Well, one of the trouser makers there. He said to me. If you want to make it smaller through the the leg, you hollow out the um, fork. So I kept on doing that. And then when I started on my own, I had a different trouser maker. He just undone the seam. And he said, look, he wants to go there. It, you're never going to get that angle on the mm-hmm. top, on, on the other side unless you put it on the top side. But it, it, it's too much of an angle. If you want right. to reduce reduce the reduce the you know fork and then clear away the seat. And that gives you a shorter distance between – I mean yeah. – it's just working up, you know, working it out for yourself, really. Doing yeah. it time and time again, and you mm-hmm. realise what works and what doesn't work. And then, if you do what works more often, mm-hmm. you're going to get a much better consistency of coat. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. Okay, I've got two more. So, um, tailoring, brilliant, brilliant, and alterations. Oh, um, I don't know what to say about that one. Alterations, uh, we say adjustments, but alterations are um, a pain. A pain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let let let's do one more. Stephen Hitchcock. Oh, craftsman. Crafts. <laughs> Well, I, I, I definitely enjoyed this conversation, Stephen, and I'd like to thank you for making the time to do this with oh, me. Pleasure. And that was Stephen. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation. If you'd like to see more of Stephen, you can follow the links to his Instagram and his website in the description of this video. I certainly enjoyed this conversation, and I look forward to see you again in the next episode. Until then, bye-bye.